Welcome to Image Plus Text. How's it going, Sam? Pretty good, Martin. How are you? I'm good. How the last how the last couple weeks treated you? Good. Busy, as always. How about yours? Um, okay. Don't want to be a bummer, but it's been it's been not the most wonderful two weeks. I was really sick. I uh, got a really bad cold. I went to Chicago Zine Fest, which I loved. Chicago Zine Fest is one of my favorite my as, favorite shows. I didn't make it this year, but I love it as well. Yeah, it's so good. But I have this policy of uh, if somebody's going to go through the trouble of stopping by my table, I want to shake their hand and be grateful and say hello. You know, and that's a germ lottery that I I lost this year. Oh. I got really sick <laughs> and uh, was completely out of it for a week. I I tried to give I gave myself one sick day of being like I'm just going to lay in bed and watch Netflix and let myself be as pathetic as I wanted to be. And then the rest of the week, I was still just as sick, but I decided that I wasn't sick anymore. So it was just a totally frustrating last week. I've been dealing with the same thing. I've had a cold for the last almost two weeks and it's, you know, you're just trying to to work through it and ignore it. And I, of course, don't stop doing any other things that I do. So I'm just like, I'm just getting worse and worse and worse and more and more ground down. But it's passing. It's yeah. beautiful in Chicago. Yeah, it's been really great here. So, mm-hmm. so in the episode today, this was a this was a kind of funny one when we were recording it because you were you were out of town. We usually record in one of our usually in my dining room or in your living room, but yeah, we were, you were away. I was away. Yeah, I went out to New York to visit some friends and then bopped up to Boston and Providence. Um, but uh, yeah, I was in New York, and since I was there, I uh, stopped in and visited uh, Lolly Westman, mm-hmm. and we recorded an episode in her studio in Harlem. Because you guys have known each other for a long time, right? A few, yeah. I don't know how long it's been, like three or four years, and she's someone who gives me stern artistic advice, you know, uh-huh. do this, don't do this, stop doubting yourself. <laughs> Um, she's like my inner conscience, uh-huh. uh, and uh, I I never seen where she where she works, and I never got to to uh, visit her in New York, so it was really fun. And um, yeah, so we recorded uh, an episode about about a lot of things, but we started off talking about spontaneity and how that guides her work and the role it plays or doesn't play in our work as well and for people for people who might not be familiar with Lale's work can you tell us a little bit about her yeah um okay so Lale's work is really unlike any other comics that I can think of um you know it's she has a lot of that like Fort Thunder like energy but she's also really obsessed with clear storytelling and making yeah, it's this really interesting tint like it's so 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 dy- dynamic and also so carefully thought about which is a yeah attention that is so hard to do right and she's so good at it so good at it and she's building these really complex worlds that you know that her characters inhabit but then inside those complex worlds there's lots of weird quasi made-up religions and there's you know wrestling and motorcycles and it's 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 a really fun they're always really fun to read and also like really surprising but you get kind of a sense that like underneath everything there's there's a super interesting worldview and philosophy to it so Mm -hmm. i was really excited to have her on the show and talk to her about spontaneity and like how that informs her work and we 
talked about how it does or does not really play into our work as well. And then the conversation yeah. sort of went from there. Yeah, I was I was so excited to have an kind of an excuse to talk to her and get to know her a little bit. I've been familiar with her work and a fan, but I'd never had a chance to talk to her. And I left the conversation so surprised that because our if you looked at our work side by side, you know, you wouldn't think that we'd have any philosophical agreement at all but as she was talking I was like yeah man me too that's exactly what I think it was just really really wonderful so with that shall we dive into the conversation with Lolly yeah let's get to it all right the laptop is on piles of books oh god on my vintage paperbacks well then okay that's fine no it's good that's good I just wanted to make sure it was straight so that I wasn't like I'm serious. No, I know. I know. I, I was pretty careful about what I was putting it on. No, I know. <laughs> you think I'm nuts. I, I think you're a little care. nuts. I, I think they're. Care. I think they're fine. And Sam didn't tell me I needed a story until yesterday or I had mentioned it before, oh, but yeah. I didn't I go <laughs> you through it. said we weren't going to do that. When I was little, or still, my method of drawing was less of creating things out of marks and more of creating marks and then seeing things in the marks. So making some kind of loose mess of lines and then saying, hey, that looks like an elephant. And then adding things to that to make it look more like an elephant. And I was always fascinated by how much closer I could get to capturing whatever that thing was than if I had just started on my own that way. Sort of that, like, my my mind had an inherent knowledge of what things in the world looked like that, that it, it, it reminds me a whole lot and it's so similar to a kind of classic linda berry i'm going to teach people to make comics who've never made comics before and the whole setup of the exercise is like four panels draw squiggle in two of them and a closed shape in the other two and then write a list of four questions and from those shapes draw a monster and because nobody had like there's no wrong way to draw a monster so people aren't that's a great exercise yeah people aren't held up they aren't held up by the idea of like oh i have to draw this flower the way that it looks in front of me or whatever a drawing one class would be like it, it opens up so many possibilities that i think we get we get kind of kind of stuck and rigid otherwise like i think it also it helps you tap into your subconscious without without you know Anything when you're making decisions that you're not exactly clear why, or you know, it's something yeah. that I have a, a lot of trouble bringing out in my own work. Work that I admire. There's a, a lot of improvisation that happens in the moment, and it's something that I aspire to in every comic that I do, and I fail to to be able to bring out in my own work because I I get so nervous about every single step of the process that I feel like I need to plan it to death. And then by the time I actually arrive, it feels like I'm doing the comic for like the fifth time opposed to the first time. Bummer. Well, well but I feel like <laughs> but I feel like spontaneity is something different from like it can be code for don't overthink it, don't overwork it, but that's not exactly it's not exactly the same thing, right? Like I feel like it's the difference between like improv versus sketch comedy, you know, like because there can be spontaneity yeah. to sketch comedy but improv is fresh when you're doing it in the moment right there right and there can yeah. be spontaneity in both and there can also be like totally overwrought improv where you know exactly what the thing is that the people are going to call out or whatever like spontaneity can come even with a lot of 
hopefully even with a lot of planning because I'm totally a planner. <laughs> no, I, I plan the hell out of stuff, actually. Yeah, how do you how do how do you plan things out? Like, what does spontaneity mean to you in the context of planning? Well, re- the reason I thought of this recently, it's been more last last year the the now and here series of books were done sort of because I did so many shows and I hate being at a show without something new. I was. I was trying to have new stuff at these shows, at most of them. Mm-hmm. And so I was had to make these books as fast as possible. So I almost I had to rely on spontaneity to, to kind of generate things. Or I was using that as the tool to make things because I didn't have time to plan mm-hmm. as much. It was sort of like well, seeing what happens and then how can I make that into a book? So generating a lot of stuff without any kind of a plan and then in a very conscious way trying to fit it all back together in a way that seems ordered or planned possibly i do that with my my band also the i'm in a weird band with two other cartoonists in new york tom toy and laura perez harris she's more of a artist like fine artist i guess but um so we're called gun tit so it's basically improv but tom and i have practiced enough that we have pieces that go together so if he starts playing one of those pieces or if I start playing one of those pieces we sort of know what goes with that so it's still improvisational but we know what all the pieces are I guess Mm -hmm. Hmm. I don't know that's another and it's also probably like another time thing like if you're a cartoonist you you maybe don't have that much time to have a band as well (laughs) (laughs) but uh when when Sam and I were talking about this as a topic to talk about, you know, my first instinct was, oh, man, that'll be so interesting because that's so foreign. Like, I don't think of myself as very spontaneous. But the more that I like, I actually don't think that that's true as because I, I have a very like a very one could say overwrought illustration style. Right. Like I care about density. Density of image is really important narratively and to the aesthetic that I'm interested in developing but like you like density of image I really do yeah um do you I use a lot of hatch marks uh some for sure but it's mostly about density yeah. of uh density of pattern Forms. pattern and form yeah um but I think there's, that, there's like a woodcut aesthetic yeah right, right. I mean, totally yeah I started as a relief printmaker uh and so like caring about like a I want to be able to look at a page from the other side of the room and get a sense of it, uh, like having really strong, strong blacks and kind of a, a shape to the page as much as a shape to the panel. Um, but when I'm planning a book, like it's really, it's really, really loose. Like I do very intense pre-planning, but it's all in my head, you know, like I don't, I don't do a lot of writing and rewriting and rewriting. It's this kind of like, my lizard brain is working on something while I'm going about my life. And then it kind of like a timer goes off and I was like, Oh, it's time to work on this. And then I really quickly, like in the course of a couple of days, pencil out thumbnails for, you know, a 50 page project and then really quickly do the underdrawing. And the ink that's on the page is the first time I've inked it. And I very rarely return to it uh, because I care about that. Like, the first time that you draw a line is there's something real in that line, you know? 
And um, yeah, yeah. And, and that's something that I, there are a couple of things that I've gone back to redraw, but it's usually like the first time, once I'm ready to draw something, it's because I know it really deeply. And, and I think that this is something that I was thinking about too, as a kind of related, a, a kindred thing about, about spontaneity is this idea of flow, right? Like once you get into this, mm-hmm. like you're able to draw and you're able to go and kind of, you lose sense of time and it is a spontaneous act, but it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel like it because it you're in that like different space. Yeah. Right. What about, yeah. what about you, Sam? Your pencil is very loose. Very, very loose. Yeah. Just, yeah. yeah. And then the ink, the ink is where the work happens. Um, and I'm, I'm really mm-hmm. envious of people with like a loose gestural style. Like I, I'm just not good at that. Um, but I don't think that that negates the idea of spontane- spontaneity in in this kind of dense work. And then Sam, you were saying that you don't think of yourself as a spontaneous per- like artist at all. Is that right? No, I don't. I mean, I think that the most spontaneity comes out when I'm writing. Like I, uh, a lot of my writing happens. I I try to. Uh, write a page every morning and that's where I think a lot of I'm often surprised by like oh I never would have thought that I would write this comic or never thought I would come up with this idea but that's I think the most spontaneous that my work gets because then I I'm using that as the template for the pencils and the pencils I are pretty tight and then they're the template for the inks this topic fascinated me because I feel like I it's something that I think about all the time is like when do you how do you find spontaneity and like I, I'll, I'll make small areas of, of a page where I'll be like okay this is a tree or this is a bush or this is like a pattern on someone's like dress and this will like i'll that's a place where i can be spontaneous and i'll I'll kind of like reserve these tiny chunks um but i i've yet to be able to pull that uh, into larger areas of the work which i would really like to and one of my favorite artists um and i've uh is uh jesse marsh who uh, is this guy who did tarzan for like throughout all the 50s and much of the 60s and he was doing like a on average like 40 pages a a month and you can just see how fast he's working and how furiously and you know all the the Tarzan comics take place in this lush jungle and he's just making these intense marks and I I strongly suspect he basically didn't pencil at all like if he penciled it was just a a really really rough outline because you can see He's like making all the decisions on the page. And that's the thing that I like about spontaneity is I think that when you plan a little bit too much, you you hide the decision making. And I think that there are a lot of really great cartoonists who are very architectural about their work or very structured and you you don't get to see their mind at work quite so much. And it's it it's a it's a shame. And I, I kind of count myself, you know, I'm not I'm not architectural like Ivan Brunetti or anything, but like I I think that there's a there's a a a bit of that like intensive planning in my work that I uh that maybe makes the makes the joy of making it not as apparent to the reader. Um I don't know though. Like I think I, I actually oh so we're talking about people needing to be skilled in order to do this. Yeah. But I think you actually have to make yourself practice that like a I think a all these people who are working directly in pencil without inking, I think that's a really brilliant idea because that forces you 
to from the start think of every line as needing to be specific and precise Hmm. Uh, and that just requires so much more focus than doing some very loose shapes and it's not necessarily like that that's the way you should do it but it's a very helpful exercise yeah Yeah, it's a practice and and that kind of like hones your your skill like and how, how well how well you can draw at the top of your head is something you just have to do in order to get better at. Um, yeah, no, totally. Huh. I have a total. I have a um, a kind of cheese ball allegory that I heard on another podcast that I think is really useful. Like, so guy gets hired, he's the best artist in the land. Somebody comes to him and is like, "I'll give you a hundred thousand dollars. I want the best painting of a fish that has ever been painting." He's like, "Okay, it'll take me a year." And uh, a year later, the guy comes back and is like, okay, I want my my masterful painting of a fish. And the guy pulls out a canvas and real quick paints right there on the spot the most beautiful fish painting that's ever been painted. And he's like, well, you don't, I'm not going to give you $100,000. He said it was going to take a year. Like, that's nothing. You just did it in front of me. And he's like, no, look at this. And he opens up a door and his entire so place is full of fish paintings <laughs> right like you need that's to... a great it's great right that's like perfect. i feel like it's a cheesy thing but after i heard that i forget where i heard it i was like oh man yeah that's so true you just have to keep drawing the fish <laughs> like you have to be able to like yeah really know your stuff if you're going to like because i think part of part of becoming an artist is like letting go of that tightness and that desire for perfection or or in whatever way that that means right like being able to be confident with your line being able to be confident with your idea even and not overwrought like not be overwrought with your idea too like there's so many comics and I think that it's something that I struggle with of like letting something sit in my head until I become addicted to the idea and then the thing itself never quite lives up to what I want it to be because it's been this perfect thing in my head and that's bullshit, right? Like you need to get it out and get it out on the page fast so that it still has some life breathing in it. And that's, that's what I think about when I think about spontaneity is of like something still being alive, right? Like there's life in the movement or there's life in the idea and that can, that's not the easiest thing. So that's sort of interesting then that, um, so spontaneity is life and planning is death. Yeah. Like, why <laughs> is that? That's That seems like, it seems almost arbitrary, but we, we all kind of seem to agree or we, we mm-hmm. understand that. So so is there like, there's something inherent in all of us, some life thing that we can only achieve when we're not totally aware of it? It's like, it's almost, it's something that's outside of our rational minds or our logical minds. It's just this something else thing that we're trying to like, get out of the way of yeah. um, or and part of getting out of the way actually is being skilled enough not to be in the way right it's the fish painting thing right it's not it's not that you could draw one fish but it's, it's that you get to the thousandth fish and that and that's so you're free of having to draw a fish at that point but you're, there's, you're, e- there's something no and there's even else. people who don't have to draw a thousand fish before they get that you, you know there like there's there's people who maybe draw you could say like children they're they're not like incredible draftsmen, 
but sometimes somehow they're able to just hit it. Yeah. Uh, that that's sort of my favorite type of work where it looks effortless. This person's not going to be drawing something in like perfect perspective or like rendering forms, and but but somehow they're able to capture it almost perfectly, like you know, with a few lines. Um, and I think that that's just the that they're in that spot, the majority of their headspace or something. Like I don't know, yeah. you could do a study. <laughs> There's, I mean, I. I think sometimes the first like mini comic that I published like as a not child because I published a lot of comics when I was a kid, but like uh, I, I made when I was uh, like in college, and I it it never occurred to me that it like wasn't like that I didn't know what I was doing, so I just kind of charged ahead. And I look at it still, and I'm like, oh no, this is this is like was the best comic that I made for like six years or mm. something. Like after I, I didn't. I wasn't able to find that again, but I think it was that like naive, like charging head, choosing the right line and just being like, this is what I'm doing. And I, you know, I didn't think about it very much. I just, I just bold. I didn't care about style. I was like, you know, different drawings look completely different from panel to panel, but somehow it like all seemed to agree with itself. Whereas later when I knew a little bit more, it started to get, there's like, there's a, there's a, there's like a curve, right? Like there's yeah. there's a place where you don't know much and you can do that spontaneity really easily. And yeah. then you the more you learn, the harder it is to get to that place of 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 like spontaneous joy. And I think joy has a yeah a lot to do with it. Yeah, you can totally tell like, when somebody's having fun making what they're making. Yeah, so, I mean that's one of the things that I think that a lot of mainstream comics like you know marvel dc are missing dark horse yeah they're missing you you look at it and you don't see joy occasionally <laughs> you see like great effort and like but you don't always see you can't see that person was happy I don't know, maybe it's hard to draw like cyclops like being stabbed by wolverine and joyfully joyfully i could totally draw that joyfully <laughs> i was just psyched to draw that i would have so much fun drawing that are you kidding me <laughs> so cool <laughs> what is like what can be taught about spontaneity you're a teacher at you teach animation at Parsons no. right now I, I think I might be a terrible teacher I can't tell <laughs> <laughs> I don't know no probably not um like how do you what do you do to to to, to foster it in people who don't who appear not to have it I have at, not at... been doing it long enough I've not been teaching long enough to to get on that uh at all hmm I'm fl- I'm not floundering, but I'm just sort of like yeah. throwing things at a dartboard and seeing what has an effect on the students or like what and and everybody's all the students are so different that I kind of have to approach each person, each individual in a different way. Right. Uh, some people are naturally in that mindset. Like I I do have a student who they they don't need any kind of cues or anything. They, they and they probably have no idea why they're making the work that they're making, but it's very interesting hmm. and totally full of life. And hmm. that you know, that's it's almost sort of like something I don't want to mess with that much. I'm I'm actually right. always in this internal battle uh, when teaching of like how much do I want to say and how much do I just I want them to figure it out on their own or yeah. not figure you know yeah, yeah I don't no. want to tamper that much because I know. Uh, in my own experience, 
like I think uh, I benefited so much from not listening to people's <laughs> advice. Yeah. Because whenever someone gives advice, <laughs> it's coming from their own position. Uh, right, totally. And wherever they are, to have that opinion even, they got there because they didn't know before. So, yeah. So teaching is teaching is a weird thing. I think the best form of teaching is it's like trying to show as much stuff that might spark excitement. Uh, do I do talk a lot about intention to mm, them. Mm-hmm. I mention it almost every class. I don't know if they are picking up on it, but I, <laughs> but just just like if you're going to do something, but besides that student who's just like going for it and they don't know where stuff is, is coming from. Right. To me that almost also looks like a form of intention. Yeah. Yeah. Uh they seem so um not to deter- they're like they they know that the drawings that they're making have to be that way. They don't know why, but as long as they know that that's how they have to be, that this is a, this is sort of the way I say it in class, and I'm like, this this is very confusing how I'm describing <laughs> this, but it's like if you're making decisions consciously, then you consciously have to know why you're making those decisions. Right. If you're making the decisions unconsciously, that's all right, as long as you're like, I, all I know is that this needs to be this way. Right. It's just like, no matter what you're doing, you have to be devoted to it in a way. Like That's really useful. And sometimes that's almost becomes a faith thing. Like it, no, I mean, a it's lot- like you have to have faith in that thing being important enough to be in there. No, I mean, I love that idea that they're, that you're like, you're, you have faith in your readers, you have faith in like your, maybe not yourself, but the story itself, that there, that it has like an internal... It's like, like faith in the energy, the energy that right. you're trying to put yeah. in there. And then also, I think like if you can divest yourself of the, divest yourself of the responsibility of the making, sort of, like where, so you don't feel so, you don't feel responsible when something's not exactly the way it had appeared to you in your thoughts that's one of the things that are most interesting a lot of the i read a lot of uh self-help like art through <laughs> books and a lot of them are very much like alcoholics anonymous they're like they're like we know you probably don't believe in god but like just imagine like a higher power that's in charge of like of like of things in your art turning out okay so you don't well, have to worry is, about this it this is the spontaneity thing again like that's there's something that we're talking about that's there Right. That you have to just step out of the way and let it do its thing. And I'm let you do your, you know. When I talk to, I teach kids, and when I teach kids, like, and they're like, I don't know how to draw a car. I'm like, well, have you ever had a dream that has a car in it? And they're all like, yeah, obviously. And you're like, well. Then you know. Then you know. You just have to figure out how you know. Right. I want to go back to the idea of planning, though, because as we're talking about this, like, it seems like we're getting, like, I don't want, I as we're talking about this, I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I I still really, really believe in planning. And I think that having, you know, like having a, having a path for where you're going, like something that is just, just dream logic or just something that's, you know, an improvisational exercise, like that's great, but that those are never the ones that (laughs) I'm interested in reading, you know, like, that's true yeah yeah that's true the but then there's but then there's kind of going going too far and kind of like over planning and that's the again like being overwrought with your idea or also like I think this is something that comes up 
with comics artists a lot, like we often start as fans, right? Like we start as comics fans or, right. or nerds, yeah, or nerds or geeks in about something, right? Like I've said before, I started out as more of a literature geek than a comics geek, but I quickly found my way onto the right path. But, um, <laughs> but there is something about like like there's something about having a legacy in mind, but then there's also like not wanting to be fanish about how you make your work, but respecting legacy, like all of those ideas kind of come together and can can stew and emerge as something that's new but then you can also get stuck on those things and I think those like you can get stuck on a plan or stuck on a artistic or intellectual legacy and then you're it's not it's not that thing right there's no none of that fresh life in it I think about that too but I also realize I often will when I'm doing a comic I often know exactly what I've been reading and like what's influencing me at that moment and I'll have this moment of being like oh my god I hope people don't like accuse me of ripping off like these three artists and combining it together and then I realize like if I look at that same comic a month later or two months later that like even I can't tell exactly what I was pulling from where yeah that's so much in your head I think about it somewhat as like it's like diluting a pool like like the pool is like all the books and comics and and life experiences that have influenced your art and if you add new stuff to it it's not going to change everything overnight right it's, it's like it'll I don't I don't know if I understand that in the pool yeah that might not analogy. be a good analogy I, I just like like as like a body of like creative influences like yeah. You're, the newest one to you is the one that seems to affect your work the most, but in yeah. reality, it can't affect you that much because you have all this other stuff right. that, that, that's already been oh, established I read in something you. describing this very well recently. I think it was about art specifically, how you can it can never be separated from the culture or time in which it's been developed. That it, that it is... that Yeah, that, that creating something new and detached from the culture that it's being formed from is is impossible and 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 not even like a goal even though i feel like most people are trying to make something original but it's not it's always linked to this this pool as you've described it which is interesting i don't i wish i could remember the the text i was reading well maybe maybe it was referencing because this is a similar idea have either of you read um the borges short story pierre menard author of the quixote it's it's about exactly the same thing so it's about this guy pierre menard and spontaneously out of nothingness from his heart he creates the exact same identical text as don quixote and uh, like from from his pen as he's writing and, you know, kind of uh, and he's, you know, held up as this brilliant, you know, brilliant author who has, you know, made this new thing. And it's often this text is often talked about in like, you know, uh, you know, literary criticism about what authorship means, you know, and and the argument is like, yeah, Pierre Menard writing exact the same text as Don Quixote, literally the same words, one after the other in middle age, you know, um, Spanish, like, it is a new text, because it's from, like, 
1938 Argentina or whenever Borges was writing it. It was a new. Wait, that the, really the, happened? No, 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 no. It's oh, a, okay. It's, this is one of his well, stories. The, no, yeah. But there's right. another. There's a. There's another Borges story that's like the exact. Op- I'm thinking of like two the, other Borges stories. The, the, yeah. the Shakespeare one. The Shakespeare memory. <laughs> no, I'm. I'm thinking of the one of the library which holds every book. Oh yeah, the Library of Babel. Including book books that are only like the letter A. Yeah, and, right. and or, which means you know, that there's a book about how to escape the library, which also means there are an infinite number of books that are wrong about how to escape the library. Yeah, yeah right. that, that's one of my favorites. And, and then I'm, and then the other story, which is also in Labyrinths, because that that one's in Labyrinths. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Labyrinths may be the only collection of those that I've read, but it was really good. The, well, the other one is about the guy who remembers absolutely everything. And because of that, it's very similar to the library idea. I, I feel like Borges was just like studying the mind. Right. Right. But um, this guy remembers absolutely everything to the point where he's overwhelmed, for one. And whenever he sees a- anything that he sees or experiences he has a whole catalog of moments that are exactly like it or are similar to that. Or like, I just remember there's this one part where he sees someone's hair and he remembers the exact same curve in this like specific piece of a wave on a beach. And then, and then all these other things, he's just like, yeah, it's sort of really. Well, there's a, there's another story about this guy who uh, he's fighting in world war one and, this uh, this other officer is like I'm not sure if he's dying or whatever, but he he offers to sell him Shakespeare's memories for like a dollar or something, and he he ends up buying Shakespeare's memories, and he he over, he he doesn't really know what he's getting into, but like over the course of the next like few years, all of his memories he like kind of has a second brain in his head, and it's all William Shakespeare's memories, but. It he does has none of Shakespeare's brilliance, so he just has the mundane uh. everyday of Shakespeare of like the fir- like the the woman who Shakespeare lost his virginity to, and like the yellow wallpaper on the room, and like oh uh, he can't bu- he can't make any this kind bar. of it has nothing to do yeah he has nothing yeah. to do with because because he's still himself he it's just almost has just like a recording of of the the five senses like it would be almost like a videotape a cassette tape or you know yeah and he and he's he becomes totally. So it's like his he, he memories goes, goes without crazy. his thoughts. Yeah, his memories without his thoughts, yeah. And it's it's a great story, but it makes you think about like creativity and like what does it mean to be creative and like who gives a shit about Shakespeare if he if you, you take out the Yeah, that's a very bold <laughs> move of Borges. Yeah. It's like a bold statement about the art the artist, you know? Getting a little bit back to, to planning, I feel like planning is like the structure in which spontaneity can happen because if you just give someone like some paper and are like okay like here's a pencil graphic novel i'll be back in a year like they're Ugh. that's not gonna work or it, it might work but it, it, yeah it, it might work it might do all the work for it they're gonna yeah but like but like they're not gonna be able to just be like okay uh panel one i think the the structure there though is the book like so let's say spontaneity would be like a dream that you have, right? Your mind is just generating all this stuff. It doesn't make any sense. But at, when you have to tell that dream to someone else, it's not planning, but it's a structure that makes it into a narrative, which makes it uh, communi- communicable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a similar... So the, the, the non-story that I didn't tell about making sketchbooks on the train 
and folding pages into them. Uh, and then th that's also the structure. So it's like now I can plug in spontaneous imagery, but it's in a book form already. So I already have a direction. Like there's already this beginning of the book and the end of the book. Yeah. And it, it makes it linear. I, and that's sort of, I feel like in that's... lieu of planning, that's a structure. And that makes it communicable. I think about structure a lot when I write stories and I think of I think of kind of structure as the story and then within that structure I can play and yeah the, like the work of getting the structure of the story formed down and I do it you know not as loose as like well it's in the form of a book so I know that you turn the pages and you'll read it linearly but like the structure of a story and kind of what what the first act and second act and third act kind of what what emotionally needs to happen in each turn and like what I want the impact to be like, that's the work of it. And then once I get onto the page, like that's fun, you know, then it's, then it's play, yeah. then it's spontaneity. Then it's like, well, what do I have to do? What are the many things I can do to get this effect that I know the structure needs? And after that, like, yeah, then it, then it's easy. <laughs> yeah. Narratively, even I like to have an, maybe an idea of, where something has to end up mm -hmm. or or things that have to happen I'll, some often it's like these are the things that I would have fun drawing yeah these like <laughs> events or mm -hmm. scenes and I'm like okay how does this get from here to there and then literally just using uh deduction deduce deduction yeah <laughs> like and logic to figure out okay how would this end up getting over here and the, the the better you use those rules of logic, like you can you can make stories work really well that way. I think I think about a little bit about as we discussed this. Uh, you guys know how they make like made like Curb Your Enthusiasm or a lot of those like Judd Apatow movies where they have like they have a, uh, a a layout of like what happens in every scene, but then the actors just have to figure out how to get that there. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think that's like an interesting way of of working. I mean, I don't know how it works exactly in comics, but it's that same idea of being like, well, this has to accomplish this one thing, but it doesn't really matter how we get there. That's up to you in that moment. And I think that even in like, yeah, in film and, and theater or like improv, it's fun to see that there's an energy of getting something some, some way, somewhere that wouldn't happen if it were entirely scripted out or entirely written or entirely typed. Yeah. That's what I mean. Like the structure, like you, you can have almost more spontaneity, more spontaneous narr like creation in general if you have a structure that you're plugging it into. All of those Now and Here books had a structure. And that was sort of like, that was how, because I had so little time to make those books, you're kind of making a lot of decisions all at once. Even if you're just like, the panels are gonna, there's gonna be four panels square on every page. Then it's right. like, boom. I don't have to make that decision for every page now. Totally. Um, that's like a huge thing. And then if you're like, I'm gonna make the images first, and then I will figure out the text by what's happening in the image. That's then then that's also less work, sort of less plan planning. And you can after you've done that, you can tweak it more and edit it with your rational mind right. and make it into something that works. I mean, I, I think every project I ever do has at least one or two rules, like golden rules that you can't. Because you have to follow this, but they're never the same for any two. Projects. I mean, sometimes even just like the page size—that's a rule already. Yeah, that's true. Just just choosing to make panels is a rule. Mm -hmm. um, Deciding what 
what materials you're going to use for different parts of it is, yeah. a, is in its own way a rule. Like, yeah. I'm going to do all the lettering with this thing. I'm going to do all the drawing yeah. with this. Decisions. Like, like how much of creativity is just making decisions, like actual decisions, conscious decisions? Was well, that, 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 or... like, that that painter's adage? Maybe it's an adage for other people, but uh, like rules make freedom, right? Like the more rules you yeah. have, the more free you are. Right. Are... Yeah. Especially yeah. for something with as many variables as comics, right? Like there are so mm-hmm. many things that one can change that are up in the air like book size even book structure right like is it a codex is it something that you do read from front to back that's an option like it doesn't have to be like yeah. when that when even something at that level is as up in the air like much less text or no text right like a lot of my comics have have no no language in them and that's a really useful restriction as I'm figuring out how to tell a story um I think that those kinds of limitations are so useful and kind of the only way to like make a meaningful first step like beyond because otherwise it just feels like there's too many like it's the world is too open right comics is such a flexible medium even in terms of the human mind like how much how much we're capable of processing you know yeah. so if there is a rule you open the book if if all the pan- if all if this four panel square thing just as an example but like if you're like oh, okay this is how the book reads then you no longer have to pay attention to that as you're reading the book also. It's like that sort of becomes a known thing, yeah. the, like a rule of that world or whatever, that thing that you're absorbing. Have you read uh, Brian Chippendale's Maggots? No. Well, that's so in, in I've the, seen it. In but... the first page of that, he's like, he explains how you're supposed to read it. And it's like, it's not, it's like you read it in this S shape. So your, your, oh, your eye is continuously yeah. going around and like it, it originally was written on a Japanese paper paperback book, so in the background of everything, there's like there's, oh, there's kanji wow. that you I've been like drawn over. It looks beautiful. It's really cool. Want, yeah, yeah. But I'm, I'd I mean, like to read it. Monday. It's great, but it's also like kind of more of an art piece than you know. Sure. Not... Yeah. I mean, I don't know if this is related, but Sam and I often talk about how we don't read or <laughs> I don't read yeah, comics. I... It's hard oh yeah, for me to I read, read comics. I read so f- I read almost no comics except for when I like feel like I have to is the wrong word but like when I need to do research or when somebody heartily when someone heartily recommends something like I'm really excited to read what they recommend yeah or like I want to read what my friends are working on yeah 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 Yeah. but I very rarely like out of my own volition like go to a shelf and pick up a comic which is a problem (laughs) or it's like a weird idea that 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 we're making comics but not necessarily like I love look I look at comics constantly but I sort of am like flipping through it. I, I often wonder if I'm more interested in comics as a uh, visual creative form, yeah, than as a narrative thing. I am the same way, but I feel like when I do get excited about a comic, like when like I'll come up to people at conventions and be like, "I read your comics," and they're like, "Oh, that's great." I'm like, "You don't understand." Like I actually I read, read them. <laughs> Like I read the first pa- I read page. The words. I, I read the first panel and I got caught up and I just went all the way through. Like oh, that's cool. No, there's some certain people that I do read. Right. I, stuff. Maybe that's what it is. There's just a lot of stuff that's not very good. Now we have all three confessed to each other semi publicly <laughs> that we don't that we don't read a lot of comics. And I Sounds think about terrible. that. I think about that a lot though. Like I don't think that that's super uncommon. I I again want to go no. back to that idea of like geeking out about forum and like getting kind of some an things stuck in your head or and and maybe that being like not an impediment to making work but I 
I think so hard about how I make comics and and really think through like all of the reasons the the intuitive and the explicitly decided reasons that I make a thing and when I look at other people's work I I get really caught up in thinking about that process and and then I find reading it kind of exhausting because it's mm, like yeah. my, I first approach it as like one practitioner to another, right? Like, oh man, how did they, like what pen did they use? Or like, this is a really interesting form. And, or I look at it visually like you were saying. I mean, maybe it's that a lot of people who read the kind of comics that we make are practitioners of the art, but I feel like it's kind of across the board. There's a lot of people who are who are even readers of the stuff that we make who aren't really readers. They're like lookers at. But that's also like, if I'm imagining myself as someone who just doesn't make comics at all, that is the weirdest reading material you can get. Like there is nothing outside of comics. That's, I mean, you can get some crazy short stories. Yeah. Just the fact that it's also combined with drawings. Then yeah, yeah it doesn't matter how bad those drawings are. That's cr- like, it's like a picture book for adults. <laughs> With some really wild storyline and you throw in some violence and sex and it's pretty great. It is the junk food of, I mean, it can be. I know we have these graphic novels now. We have autobio stuff. But yeah, when I look at comics, I just get really excited about like, holy crap, they, they colored in all these tiny pictures and there's <laughs> words. The words are ridiculous. <laughs> It's like a campy movie or something. It's, right. it's fantastic. I was going to say, with that, should we probably wrap things up here? I think yeah. so, yeah. Um, we, let's wait for that to pass. My motorcycle. Mm. Yeah, motorcycle just went by. I live on a quiet side street, but every now and then someone gets an idea. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you so much. This was great. Y'all have a good rest of your afternoon. You can do you it. always look at me like you're getting ready for me to laugh, which I no. always do. <laughs> Cover your eyes. <laughs> hide. Hide, Sam. <laughs> you Okay, yes, all is good, yes. Um, okay, so before we go, <laughs> um, do you have uh, anything to recommend? Um, yeah, I, I was wrestling with what to recommend. We had a long conversation before we started, but yeah. I, I'm going to settle on um, a uh, television show that I, I watched the entirety of uh, while drawing the last couple of weeks, uh, The Fall, which mm-hmm. you, you recommended to me. Yeah, so good. So it's, uh, it's Jill, for those of you who haven't seen it, it's on Netflix. It's a BBC show originally, and it's, it has Gillian Anderson of X-Files fame and my middle school dreams. Oh fame. man, if we could have invested in Gillian Anderson's hotness in X Files, be able to retire with the fall. Oh, it's oh, it's she's incredible. So good. <laughs> um, it's a yeah, it's a procedural mm, serial killer show, but it's smart enough and different enough from anything I've ever seen before that it 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 warranted having to watch all of them and you know. Uh, a, a week span, essentially. Yeah, and I'm always, I'm very sensitive to here's another story about women being brutalized and murdered and I don't, I usually like don't even care if there's a strong female detective taking the lead. Usually there is and that's some kind of excuse for getting away with Luckily the guy doing the brutalizing and murdering this time is the guy who's also playing What's-His-Face Grey from Fifty Shades yeah, of Grey. Yeah, I, and so like 
uh, I usually can't stomach this kind of story, this kind of TV show, but it's done so well. I like that they don't let the the serial killer be a monster. Like they don't let him be anything but a human, which makes him even more monstrous. Makes him more monstrous. Yeah. Yeah. The, like, yeah. He's a very a very identifiable, sympathetic mm-hmm. character who's just they kind of point out that he's like has a sexual predilection that puts him on one far end of a natural spectrum, which is it's a weird way of thinking about that, but it's and because it, it doesn't excuse it, it's like no, you are in con- you're not a monster, you're not out of control, you are in control of this, and thus so responsible for this violence. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, it, all right, that, that's, yeah, that, that's the uplifting thing that I yeah. would share, share with our <laughs> listeners for the week. What have you been up to? Up to? What, what do you want to? Yeah, so uh, at the beginning of the episode, I was saying I was sick, and so I had the excuse to watch a lot of TV, um, and I rewatched actually in its entirety, uh, a series uh, called Other Space. It's a sci-fi comedy on on Yahoo Screen, I think is the streaming, like <laughs> Yahoo trying to dip its toe into Netflix land, um, yeah. and it's written by Paul Feig. I, uh, I adore Paul Feig. He's the best. Um, and it's it's a science fiction comedy. So the premise is this, in the distant future, a crew of plucky young, you know, space explorers get sucked into a parallel dimension with a whole different space to explore. And um, I was worried going into it that it was going to be like, basically just an office comedy but in space and what i really like about it is the comedy emerges from science fiction premises and so it's not just these two people oh how are they going to get along or not going to get along the the comedy comes from time dilation and the weirdness of what aliens could be like you know like for instance maybe trying to seduce everybody on the ship by downloading the personality of Matthew McConaughey, right? Like, it's <laughs> it's pretty good. And it reminded me, like, it's is it a revolutionary comedy? No, it, but it's a really, like, if you're sick in bed and your other option is just becoming a Robitussin sommelier, like, just watch this show. It's pretty good. Um, and it reminded me a lot, uh, this is kind of a, a sub-recommendation, there's another sci-fi comedy TV show that I like called Hyperdrive, with Nick Frost, it's a BBC comedy. Uh, Nick Frost, who's the you know right hand man to um, Simon Pegg, and he's the kind of straight man hero in this, and it works. It works surprisingly well. So I'd recommend both uh, Other Space and Hyperdrive. All right. Uh, well, with that, let's wrap up the episode. If you have any feedback, criticisms, thoughts, concerns, if you disagree with something that we said in the episode and want to start a conversation, give us an email. You have the ability to be the very first person to send us an email. Yeah. <laughs> That's on you. Uh, yeah, do it, please. We want to talk with you. So uh, our email is image plus text plus is spelled out plus at gmail.com. You can also tweet at us if that's more of your jam at image plus text. Follow us on Tumblr, et cetera, et cetera. Thanks for listening. See you in two weeks. See you in two weeks.